Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hey, I'm Zach, and one day I'm going to make movies, but right now I'm young, dumb, and not nearly as good-looking as my co-hosts. So with the help of... I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Steven. I'm going to learn what makes a movie great by watching all the classics I've skipped over. So pop the corn and turn your cell phone to silent, because it's time for a new episode of Zach on Film. Let's all run away from our rich fathers and take a bus up to the big city. Along the way, let's learn a bit about ourselves. Learn the proper way to hitchhike and fall in love with a newspaper writer. Make sure to bring your listening device on this flight of love to this week's Zach on Film as we talk It Happened One Night. You can pick up uh, It Happened One Night from uh, the Amazon link at Majorspoilers.com. Pick up uh, It Happened One Night in HD and enjoy this 1934 classic from Frank Capra. Wow. Was it originally shot in HD? It was originally shot in HD. Film is full frame, full frame HD. Frank Capra was a vision. It's actually sized down from 2K. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Probably was. (laughs) What the hell does what? So uh, Zach, fill us in on it. Happened one night. So happened one night. Came out in 1934. Mm -hmm. A long time ago. Uh, It's uh, a story of a rich young daughter. She wanted to get away from her father's ruling of her life. So she decided to leave and go to her love. Along the way, she has to take a bus. A a bus. And she's rich. Like a bus? Yuck. Well, she doesn't want to be picked up. She doesn't want to be uh, hijacked by the Pinkertons. She's got to be smart about this. So she takes a bus. No one expects the Spanish Inquisition. No. Uh, No one expects uh, Greyhound. weapon is fair. This That's reporter just, just yeah. like quit his job because he sticks it to the man because he's cool and stuff. And he's also awesome. drunk. Yeah, well, yes. he's drunk. And is would you happen to know it? These two cross paths, and they take a ride across the southern states all the way up to the big city of New York from Florida. Clark Gable and Claudette Colbert. What a great pair! Yeah. I forgot how I, yeah. it has probably been twenty and years Clark since Gables I watched. Pretty awesome as well. It, uh. It's it's been twenty years since I've watched this movie, and I forgot how wonderful oh. it is. I mean, and, and then I guess Claudette I would Colbert say has awesome legs. That's all I'm saying. I I would say do check this out in HD because the last time I watched this, it was on VHS, and man, this this looked really good in uh, in the cleaned up print, black and white. That this was. I um, think we saw the same version, and I recall it being kind of gray and muddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We watched it in film school. When, when in we film saw school. it in college. Yeah. Um, Frank Capra, of course, uh, It Happened One Night. Uh, most people know him from that. Um, really didn't think that this movie was a success for him. Hmm. Um, hmm. When it was originally released, it got mediocre reviews from critics the box office in the first, I think, five weeks really didn't do anything. It was just kind of stagnant. Were they upset that someone only hits a woman once in it? <laughs> no. In fact, we'll get to that a little bit later on. But um, 
what ended up happening is when it went into the secondary theater, essentially today's dollar theater, mm-hmm. word of mouth started spreading. People are like, oh, you got to see this. In fact, uh, Colbert was like, um, oh, I can't believe I was in this terrible, terrible movie. It'll never do anything for me. And then all of a sudden it started getting this grassroots uh, effort and people just started going to it and seeing it in droves. And it caught like wildfire and is only one of four films, I believe, to win what is essentially the triple crown. It, it, it won uh, five Oscars five Oscars in the main category. Best picture, best director, best actor, best actress and screenplay. I think best screenplay. Uh, and the next time that happened was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and then with... Um, um, Silence of the Lambs and, and I forget the, Titanic, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, there's very few films to have done that. And, um, Colbert wasn't even really planning on going to the Oscar ceremony. Mm-hmm. She was going to be out of town. <laughs> and then when they found out that she won, they, the head of the studio went and made sure that somebody went down to the train station, yanked her off the train and brought her to the awards ceremony. So, <laughs> you know, this film, there's something about this story, Zach. And mm-hmm. what is it that makes it so interesting? Was that a question to me, or is that yes, a question you're going to answer? No. Well, it's an, I think it's interesting because <laughs> it makes it seem it it shows a story of what we believe of like love, a random encounters of love, and then this the fantasy unfolding that you find the perfect person for you, and then life will never be bad again because you found that person and I, and, and it's not i mean it's just a random a thing on a bus i yeah, think yeah. that's why people like it you're, you're most recently in love and got engaged is that how it was when you met your fiance uh yes i was my parents she doesn't like, listen you to need this. to you need to stay here in this small town and i was she, like no mom i'm gonna make it big in the city and i took a bus 45 minutes to haze <laughs> <laughs> And there I found her. At this at this rate, Zach will be in New York by the time he's forty five. Yeah, it's gonna be great. Yep. So, is it just this this happenstance of finding love? Is that what makes this story sell? Uh, well, that and I mean, when you look at it, it's this, essentially. I don't know if there, I'm sure there might have been a movie done this before, but certainly stories of love before this. It, it 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 sets up the two opposing mindsets and then makes them be together and like realize they're different and they hate each other but they love each other and then bad things happen but but then they realize their love and come together or the plot of most rom-coms now well and this is where we and get that, the romantic sure, comedy that, right sure and and so this, and I think people like that. I mean, we, we I think we gravitate gravitate towards stories that we find familiar and that make us feel happy. I mean, these are these are a, is a happy uh, plot line. So that's nice. Rodrigo, give us uh, some more like detail the, about the the screwball comedy and the rom com. Right. So um, there's a few things that were popular in those days as far as comedies. You needed to have snappy dialogue. Which this uh, clearly has. Um, oh yeah. Ah uh, yeah. How about I do this instead? Ah. Oh, <laughs> <yeah, yeah>, yeah. <laughs> um, which uh, which this definitely has. Um, also, kind of these very unusual situations manifesting, as well as like goofy side characters mm-hmm. and 
um, which is also has plenty of. Although I felt that what I what I really liked about it is that they kept the goofy side characters very much under control. Oh sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Like there's a recurring character that's kind of annoying, but he's supposed to be annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, Smedley or whatever his name was. Yeah, and then like all the all the other people that are like the random. Um, hotel owners and mm-hmm. bus drivers mm-hmm. and right. people that they meet that are just like, why does this character have such a weird voice? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. like, oh, well, this is, ah, yeah, see. Um, so that, that's the, how people talk in the movies. Yeah, and it, and it kind of is. Um, I think, I think to a large degree, when you watch a, a, a screwball comedy or a comedy from the 30s, you see this and it's like, is that how people in the 30s talked? And the answer is, of course, no. That's how people in the 30s wish they talked. Yeah. Um, because it is, you know, really tight writing and everybody's really smart. Um, you know, the the main characters are really smart. Their opposition is really smart. Um, everybody's just uh, throwing zingers at each other back and forth. Right. It's good times. Um, now, as far as a romantic comedy... Um, this is the plot line that you see over and over again, like we've mm-hmm. like we've said. Um, but it happened one night has some things that for better or for worse haven't don't get duplicated too often. Mm-hmm. Um for example, the ending is to me was a little off putting. Oh, the fact the which part of it? The the <laughs> fact that basically after she runs away, we actually never see them together. Well, and there's a reason for that, mm-hmm. and we'll get to that here in a little bit as well. Um, but you're right. I can see that being off-putting. Yeah. Um, there a lot of there's a. Um, I guess you do actually like it's it's interesting to see individual scenes in this and how they get echoed in romantic comedies across mm-hmm. the, the ages because there's the scene in the bus where they're all where everybody's singing, singing. and you can mm-hmm. see that in my best friend's wedding and you can see it in plain strains and automobiles yep you can mm-hmm. see this this little singing scene that keeps happening you can see it in that one where like um that one uh uh leap year leap day something like that it's like this chick is going to propose to her fiance but instead she meets a handsome european guy and they go on a road trip together. It's basically the same way. It's the exact oh, yeah, same yeah, movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like, smack in the middle, singing scene. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you see this happen over and over and over across history. It's like every romantic comedy, it's actually, it, it happened one night. You've Got Mail, does it have a, a singing uh, song I in it? I don't think I've seen that. You've Got Mail. I don't think it does. Interesting. So, Matthew, what is... what is Fool's Rush In. Oh, is that it? Okay. There you go. Has... That one does have a, a a slightly different spin because it's the um, it's is the my big fat ex wedding right? Oh sure sure. It's like this one's my big fat Mexican wedding. <laughs> of course, came out before my big fat Greek wedding. There you go, Matthew. What uh, what is it? What is special in the storytelling that Capra is bringing to screen beyond just we've set up a formula that has been copied again and again and again. Well, I, I think that is a big part of it. I mean, this is almost the prototypical movie that romantic comedies want to be. Mm. But when you really break it down, what you've got here is a clearly told story. It's a story that doesn't have a whole lot of happy dappy stuff going to it. It's got the the moments where I sit here and I think, hey, I think I saw that in a Bugs Bunny short once. To where it's actually become something that is archetypical. I don't know. Uh, 
really if I entirely understand your question. Well, I mean, are there if certain makes- themes, elements, uh, etc., that makes this story special? You're right. It is a very straightforward, plain story. Girl doesn't want to be yeah. living under her father's rule. She had eloped with this air magnet, and so she decides to run off to be with uh, King Windsor or whatever his name was. Wesley. 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 And, um, Wesley. and so in order to do that, she has to get as to New York. In order to go undercover as m- much as she can, she has to travel by bus. There she meets a newly unemployed uh, drunkard reporter who likes her attitude and the two start to fall for one another, even though right. what he sees in her is an opportunity mm-hmm. to get a job back and make a name for himself and make lots of money, not by turning her in, but by telling the story that he knows is hidden right there. So, you know, he's being very opportunistic, but by the time he reaches the end of the movie, he realizes, oh, these three days that I've spent with this person, I've totally fallen in love with them and I want to be with her, but I can't because she's already married. And man, I just want my $34 that I spent on her and (laughs) uh, I'll go. And then of course we have, uh, you know, a very familiar, um, runaway bride scenario where she gets to the altar and her father's like, you know, if you want to get away from King Wesley, um, you know, Pierce or whatever his name is, uh, really is in love with you. Clark Gable really <laughs> is in love with you. You should go with him and I'll be okay with that. And I'll clean up the mess. And she gets up there mm-hmm. and she decides, yep, that's it. I'm out of here. And she runs off. And this is the part of the story where Rodrigo, you get uh, rather annoyed. Um, but we do see, Again, these little simple elements, this love at first sight, this uh, turnabout where the strong female character is still in need of help and the two have the snappy dialogue and banter back and forth with one another. And I think it all comes together. Did you you ever go see Don John, the Joseph Gordon-Levitt written director? Oh, no, I have not. That's the Uh, guy that's addicted to porn. Right, right. And there's there's a sequence in that movie where his girlfriend wants to go to some romantic comedy and he's, he can't stand it because then he breaks it down and they, they show the movie on screen. It's actually played by Channing Tatum and uh, Anne Hathaway, which I thought that these are the modern day, those people from this movie. Right, sure. Right, Almost right, exactly. Right, right. And they just break down like this is a romantic comedy. He just shows all the beats of the movie yeah. like, and it just shows the girl wide eyed. It's about the movie. But it's like this is a romantic comedy. And he just says this is what. They, this is what people want, and this is what they're given. And that's what we see and, in this movie, yeah, right? It's all played that, out here. And so this is where it started. So the thing that, in this movie, um, it is the 1930s. It's not like two, It's not like a, a, a guy and a girl just jump in bed and say, oh, well, we're not going to touch one another, even though there's a single bed in the room. They make very clear in this movie that there are separate beds. And to make sure that there's no impropriety, um, Clark Gable does this routine where he hangs a uh, rope and a blanket in between their two beds so they don't have to see each other while they're undressing or have any uh, lustful thoughts or whatever that goes through young people's minds um, of that time period. And so everything is above board. Everything's above code. At the end of the movie, um, she runs off and we cut to another roadside hotel and the the running gag of the horns of Jericho are going to blow this wall down and we can get it on. Uh, we don't get to see that happen because, again, kissing, uh, there may be something in in uh, in the mindset that, remember, she is divorced now or the uh, the wedding was annulled, mm-hmm. so it didn't happen. Um, but up until that point, she is still wed up until they get the telegram. So I think, Rodrigo, the fact that we don't see them in that last five minutes, mm-hmm. just to see them embrace, I think is enough. 
um, to keep it again somewhat clean. Yeah. Um, but this movie is still very risque for the time period. That's what I thought when I was watching. I was like, oh, they, they, they're pushing some boundaries here. So talk about the some 30s. of the boundaries that you thought were being pushed by for the 1930s. Um, well, there's the roadside, let me show you how to pick up a car scene right, where right, right. she just kind of hangs up her dress a little that. bit and the, the car stops automatically. Um, the, you talked about how they put up the blanket when they undress in the cabin, but they, I mean, when I say... Nowadays, if I said, "Oh, they showed her undressing," you would you would think, "Oh, she was naked at, mm-hmm. at the end of this scene." But in 1930s terms, she might have been naked to some people. I mean, she drips I mean, down, she down to, her to a slip, slip yeah. yeah. And Clark Gable's taking off his shirt. Right. Yeah. Um, the story goes that because he's topless in that scene, the sales of men's undershirts started to decline yep. after that really? because, of, because because of that scene. Huh. Clark Gable was cool. Right. Yeah. And he didn't wear an undershirt in that scene because it was messing up his blocking. Mm. Huh. He was trying to do the scene and keep his his fast-talking, high trousers, and he couldn't do it with the undershirt, so he, he didn't wear the undershirt for the scene. Hmm. I don't know if that's an urban and legend f- about the sales dropping, but I, you hear that a lot. Yeah. And, of course, they get into some very close, almost kissing situations. You have to remember, she's married Throughout this yeah. movie, she is already married. And so here is someone who is on the verge of an affair, which would be a big no-no under the Hayes Code and the uh, Code of the Time. When uh, Would this be when a they, Hayes Code movie? It, it's very close to it. Uh, and I'm looking up the exact information here because that's what I was getting to. So, Rodrigo, go ahead and take it away. When, when they when they think they're going to get made, um, the he, like kneels down and unbuttons her shirt oh yeah like he oh, messes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He messes yeah. up her hair and he unbuttons her shirt oh too. yeah so i mean there's there's a lot of stuff going on where i was like you go filmmakers <laughs> of the time yeah. which I, I thought that scene was interesting because they go through this whole process of putting this sheet up so they don't see each other undressed but right, then it's right, like right. And then, moment of crunch i'm just unbuttoning your shirt I'm, and you, she doesn't like protest at all. i'm grabbing your chest yeah. and going to town no so the Hayes code matthew is the motion picture production code which was in place from 1930 until 1968 so the thing was so when it was first when this was first put into place in the 1930s the Hayes code was not heavily enforced I mean, there would be some things that you could do and some things that they probably turned a blind eye to or were still trying to figure out what was going on. After this movie came out, people started cracking down and following the the motion pictures uh, production guide a lot closer to prevent a lot of this risque material. But hmm. you're right. A woman hiking her leg up and saying, hey, you know, this idea of sex is, is getting me what I want. Um, very ahead of its time there. for 1934. I mean, that... That would be risque for 1954. It and uh, reportedly, from what I understand, she actually wasn't going to do that. They were going to have to bring in a body double before the actress agreed to do that scandalous moment and then bring pull over the skipper's father, yeah, as she really does. Funny. Which, Alan Hale. yeah, yeah, Alan Hale, and of course, you know his his son pretty much looks exactly. Well, like and I know, him. and that's so why I kept going. It's like, like that, wait a minute. Alan Hale or Alan Hale Jr.? What is the skipper doing <laughs> driving that car and singing about young love and ripping people off on and the road? Should, shouldn't the skipper – well, and it's one of those things. That's one of those moments where, you know, in my mind when I was younger, the skipper was just this eternal white-haired fat man, which, which is really what I want to grow up to be. But it, this movie strikes a really, really good balance between the comedy 
and the romance. And I think part of that may be that Hayes code of there was a limit of what they thought they could get away with to where, you know, you don't necessarily have that problem, say, of Juno, which is a movie that I like as well, that follows this same prompt. But it starts with the characters having already done all sorts of, you know, sexual stuff at least once. You have that thing where all of that is kind of kept. It, it's definitely subsumed in everything that happens in the, in the story, but it's kind of kept to a level where it actually feels like they don't really know each other and they clearly have an attraction, but they're both afraid to act on it because they really can't show it in the movies or they mm. shouldn't show it in the movies for fear of it not playing in Peoria. Let me ask you guys this. Is Clark K- Gable's character in this movie the inspiration for Bugs Bunny? Vocally? No, not vocally. Yes. Okay. <laughs> the eating the carrot and the talking real fast. Uh, he eats the carrot, talks real fast. Someone keeps referring to him as Doc all the time. You know, Shapely mm. uh, keeps referring to, to this, him as Doc. Uh, this his patter. is Frizz Freeling's favorite movie. Yes, it is. And um, <laughs> Clark Gable may be the inspiration for Bugs Bunny. Wow. Or at least in, in this role uh, for that. And I find that fascinating because that fascinating. Bugs Bunny didn't cool. appear until I, 1940. Don't yeah. they... It, don't they reference a character named Bugs in the film? No, there's a uh, Bugs Dooley. Well, there's Bugs Dooley, but there's also um, you know, the shapely guy keeps calling everybody Doc and, and mm-hmm. keeps calling the, the Clark Gables character yeah. Doc. So I find that very fascinating. Um, crazy. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that when you start uh, finding stuff like this out, it's interesting because you we expect that Bugs Bunny is eternal, right? Like, yes. he, he has no beginning, but right. he did. He yeah. did. Like, this this movie comes from a world from before Bugs Bunny existed. This movie... Which is crazy because it's like, wait a minute, how can Clark Gable be the inspiration for Bugs Bunny? Because I know I've seen Bugs Bunny cartoons that Clark Gable is in. So, therefore, Bugs Bunny had to have been around <laughs> since the 1920s. And that's right. like, before oh, Clark no. Gable. 1940 is when error, Bugs Bunny came error. out. So, yeah, I mean, it, it makes a lot down, of sense. Um, yeah, and I believe in his first appearance, he was Ephraim the brain damaged rabbit. <laughs> Clark Gable, something like Bunny. that. <laughs> <laughs> Either or. Uh-huh. Anyway, actually, it's funnier. <laughs> Clark Gable. So. Anyway, why don't we thank some of our associate producers? Zach. Yes, let's shout out to our associate producers: Alexander Deshawn, Amber Danette, Christopher Matthias, Josh Pine, Daniel Auger, Paul Fassett. Linscog Severine, Robert Kaslick, Robert Laville, and Patrick Marr. Thank you for being associate producers. Right. He sounds like somebody from the 1930s. Yes. <laughs> Helps me pronounce names. Yeah, right. Helps me pronounce names. <laughs> Those are our associate no, that's okay, producers. Jack. And we want to thank all of our associate producers. Those people who have become uh, VIP members over at members.majorspoilers.com. Uh, every little bit helps make Very sure that this producers. show continues. On and on and on. Absolutely. So, uh, Zach, talk to us about exactly. technical stuff. What what kind of things did you pick up technically, or what things did you notice technically about this film that may have been flawed in places? Well, let's just start there. Let's start with the, the things that I noticed that were not so good. The, okay. The editing was a little jarring. It was. Because uh, it was not... The cuts weren't synced together perfectly. They weren't mm-hmm. cut on. They the weren't action. matching their action. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, the one really noticeable place is when at the first hotel, mm-hmm. and Gable's taking off his clothes, and eventually he's going to take off his pants, and you see her jump a little bit, and then they do the cut, 
and then it's her starting to run like she hasn't even ran yet right, yeah, and right. you start running oh, like, yeah, whoa yeah. but then there's just little tiny ones where hand movements just aren't quite right but they're noticeable because this arm will jump and there was just a few places i know really in the beginning i felt like the editing was off a little bit and then towards the end there were some more spots and it's just it's interesting I and mean, we talk about editing and I know it's like a it's like a frame thing, like a like a twenty fourth of a second outcome up makes yep. such a big yep. difference. Just one yeah, because people, fraction of a second. People catch it. I mean you can yeah. see it. And you don't have to be trained to see it. No. You have to be trained to pay attention to it to mm-hmm. a certain degree because uh people are very forgiving. Sure. Uh, if you sure, see sure, something sure. that doesn't match, you like immediately forget it as you right. know to, to allow the movie to progress. And mm-hmm. and sometimes those are just simple continuity errors. Mm-hmm. Um in one of the upcoming bonus tracks or in one of the bonus tracks episodes that we've recorded about Buckaroo Banzai, there's a shot where the bad guys step out from behind the curtain and one of them is Christopher Lloyd. And the way that the scene's edited, in one shot he's wearing his glasses, you cut to a different angle and he doesn't have his glasses and then you cut back and his ang- his glasses are back on his face again. Those mm-hmm. kinds of things happen right. uh, quite a bit. But in this case, with the matching of the action, yeah, not so good in, no. in a lot of places. And And catching those things could be just being very aware of it, but also our own persistence of vision will catch a lot of those kinds of things. When they were trying to, uh, when they were editing Terminator 2, um, Cameron was trying to figure out how they could get this down to under three hours or whatever it was. Right. And he came up with this wacky idea that what happens, what would happen if we edited out one frame of the movie every second, 29 frames instead of 30 frames. The length of the film by default, by just taking out that one frame every second or every 10 seconds or whatever it was, five seconds, I forget what it was. It's one second per 30 or per 24, 24 yeah, seconds. Yeah. So so he was he was going to take these out one every second and thought that by the, that time, it would accumulate and bring the length of the movie down to under two hours. But when you watch that done, it is awful. It yeah. just, it does not make any sense because all of a sudden you see people jumping around and you see these odd odd jumps in editing. So, you know, even at 20 or 30 frames a second or even 60 uh, today with our HD um, captures, man, you're going to notice any little any little break in and, that in that continuity of motion. And that's, and that's the thing is editing um, is something that is for humans. I mean, right. it's the the editing techniques that we have and the editing techniques that are accepted. Yeah, there are things like pans and and or not pans but like um dissolves and wipes and things like that that we've agreed mean certain things right there's actually no reason why a clock wipe uh, suggests time no, other than we it's arbitrary we've seen it so many times and it's a good thing because it's a clock and blah blah, blah and, and it's resonant but there's no reason why that should be but close edits like that like that back and forth mm-hmm. They do fall. They do have to follow how people believe the universe works. If they don't, it's jarring, and that's something that you have to pay attention to. It's like, um, um, like a, a black frame in between edits. Mm-hmm. You know, when flash you see that frame. flash of that, yeah. yeah, that flash of black. All of a sudden, it can be, and usually you'll just go right through it. But you know, like the, there's something, and right. your eye catches it. Yeah, it's the whole Tyler Durden insert porn yep. into mm-hmm. your PD movie. Oh yeah, yeah. You you, you really you, <laughs> you do catch it. You do catch it even without without realizing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else technically? Bad or just no, okay. no? Okay, I mean, um, no. So that was the only thing that I thought was bad. Um, a technique 
that they use multiple times to show newspapers is they'll kind of just go to the newspaper and they'll hold it for like two or three seconds. Mm-hmm. And I think that maybe not the lingering on the item, yeah. but it's certainly a technique used by certain filmmakers. They'll like, they'll like in a conversation and they'll just go to a shot of like the cup. Someone's about to drink, but like over the top shot, like straight down mm-hmm. to the cup. Mm-hmm. Who am I thinking of? Who did the departed? Uh, Scorsese. Scorsese. No. Is that right? We I will look. So, yeah, Keep yeah, yeah, yeah. But doesn't he? He does. I think like he does that a lot in The Departed. Matt where, Damon. No, wait. Yeah, Matt Damon. Um, Martin Scorsese. Yeah, yeah, Scorsese. Yeah. <laughs> well, he'll do that, and people having conversation. Someone will reach for a cup, but he'll just go to like a straight over the top shot of the cup. And I don't know if that started here. I'm sure it probably didn't start here. And you yeah, never know. Night, maybe could have. I, I'll, I'll, I'll do a search real quick. But the newspaper fly out kind of stuff is pretty typical. Yeah, but, yeah you know yeah, that yeah, that yeah, spinning yeah. newspaper stuff has been around for a long time. Oh, it actually, show somebody holding that paper. Yeah. Um, maybe specific to here. Right, right, right. Um, so that technique, I, I mean, I've picked up on from some people. And another thing, I know we talked about uh, in The Artist a couple podcasts ago, how to recreate a time period through film and looking at the lighting and the framing and everything. And uh, I know we brought up aspect aspect ratio, and that made me think just because this film is kind of more in a boxy aspect ratio. And I was thinking in the new, um, man, I'm, director's name's not doing, what's the new, Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh, you're... Um, What's his name? Wes Anderson. Yeah, Wes Anderson. Uh, I believe, I know in the trailer for it, they show like three different aspect ratios in the trailer. Mm-hmm. They said that the film takes place over three different time periods. Yeah, yeah. And he changes the aspect ratio to show you what time period he's actually in in the film. So, I mean, so we see things like that. And the aspect ratio certainly changes... It dates a film. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. If, I mean, you, you know, we don't, people generally although, don't although, box aspect ratio. Anymore. Although it's not a direct thing. It's not like aspect ratios get wider. No. They actually <laughs> get wider like, and then shrink again and, and then they get, get wider. They get wider like right. my waistline. Over yeah, time, right. they just get wider and wider and wider. No, And so, then they get really self-conscious and they start <laughs> shrinking again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I haven't realized that part yet. Um, <laughs> or my waist hasn't at least. Uh, so uh, in, my in, waist is always in Panaflex. In in the reason we, we've talked before about why that aspect ratio changed, right? I mean, it's television. Yeah, yeah. Television yeah. had a four by three ratio. It happened one night. Had a four by three ratio. Very easy to put this on television. Mm-hmm. We want to compete with television. We we'll go for the wider aspect ratio. The other thing I wanted to see if you noticed was the lighting and how they used lighting. This is this is a movie that is classic Hollywood lighting, where everybody, no matter where they're at, even with the lights are out, have a rim light. Yeah. And that just, even today, still tickles me every time I watch a movie, or especially an old movie, where it's just like, we have to rim this person so that their hair lights up, even though it's the middle of the night and the ceiling is in place on this building. <laughs> There's nowhere that that light could be coming from, yet we have that right. rim light on people. It's. I also find it interesting. I think it, um, it has some very theatrical scenes, uh, but it also has some very... Um, I guess television scenes. You know, there's a lot of close-ups, mm-hmm. but there's a few scenes where you're basically just looking at a whole room, and maybe you just pan a little bit, right? Uh, just kind of back and or like cut a little bit, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but mostly you're watching two characters in the same room moving around. It's it's an interesting 
way of doing it. And and I, I couldn't tell you if it's just that, you know, the, the, the cinema hadn't fully shed all like all cinema. of its its theatrical roots, or if this was actually them going back and being like, Okay, well the best way to shoot the scene yeah, is, a shot. is a white shot. Yeah. And, I, and and it depends too uh, on the time periods. I know that when the first time that you cut to a close up, people in certain regions of the country and the world were very upset because it's like you're expecting us to pay full price and we're only seeing half of a man. Yeah. Um, you know, those were some of the, the <laughs> outrage that audiences had. How nice. dare you show me that man's face? I want to see his whole body. Yeah. Uh, but you're right from a theatrical standpoint. I have to go back and look more on Frank Capra because um, if you go and look, um, It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, he does a he does a lot of these same things throughout his films where it seems to be keep it wide, let the audience partake everything, let the actors interact in the scene. Right, let them move around. But when it is time to do something important, let's go in for that close-up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. K- kind of a car chase. Well, yeah, a man, a man, running, sure. a man running after a car <laughs> is kind of a car chase, right? Has, steals their bags, has to go tie the poor man up to a tree. No, but you're talking about the end where Clark Gable's in this mm-hmm. rickety old car and it's overheating and the tire's flat and he's trying yeah. to chase down the, uh, the cops and his, and his uh, runaway bride um, or the woman that he loves to, to get her back. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, uh, I know in an age of film to make the act- actors look softer. They used to put like Vaseline and stuff on the lens. Mm-hmm. I couldn't tell if they were actually doing that in this or if like the film had kind of worn down, but I felt like there were some really Depends. soft spots. When you see a close up of a well-known actress and you'll mm-hmm. see this happen a lot when we watch sunset Boulevard. Um, but uh, when you do shots, especially old Hollywood style movies, you do soften that lens on the female actress right. to make her look more glamorous, to make that light glow. And you can do it by smearing Vaseline on the, uh, not on the lens, Zach. Uh, yeah, don't, smear it don't do that. Don't do that. Smear it onto <laughs> a, uh, if you're going to do it, which I don't recommend that you do, no. um, do it on a glass plate in front of yeah, the lens. Yeah. Today, if we're going to do something like that, we use a diffusion filter. And the diffusion filter is just there to diffuse that light. And there's a couple of ways you can do it. You can have a netting. And if you've seen a net uh, gel, it actually looks like a little net that's been crisscrossed throughout the uh, throughout the piece of glass that you slip it in. And because that glass is so close to the front, it's out of focus when you're shooting. Uh, but because the light is coming through and hitting either a white diffusion or a black diffusion, it's causing that light to scatter uh, in certain mm-hmm. ways. The cheaper way to do this, and I did this with uh, some of my students years and years and years ago, is we looked at a $250 diffusion uh, gel filter. And then I said, well, go out and just buy a pair of Hanes, women Hanes nude, white, Mm. and black stockings. And you stretch it, literally stretch it over the front of the lens. Now, uh, some photographers will actually stretch it behind the lens, between the lens and the sensor, mm-hmm. right? So they'll actually kind of screw it in place. And you sure. can buy little filters that go on between the lens and the CCD or the imaging chip. Be careful, though. Don't, no, I, don't just be taking out the lens. Yeah, it's going to be pretty dangerous. So you can get the same effect by just taking a pair of, of your fiancé's um, um, sheer pantyhose and just stretch them really tight over the lens uh-huh. and, you know... Uh, rubber band them down so they're not sliding and you'll get that same effect interesting so there you go listeners you can use them also to uh use the paint and 
horseback riding. <laughs> and you can just get a pair of the uh, of the pantyhose with the uh, the cotton crotch and put them on your head and run around uh-huh. town uh, in the middle of the night. That's also good for yeah, a, yeah, for yeah. a laugh too. That's what I do. Oh. Uh, Man, we we really should have gotten out more in college, shouldn't we? Oh, Anything else, Zach? Tell us what else that you picked up or learned. Um, well, I was I was interested in this idea of uh, romantic comedies stemming off from this movie, uh-huh. and so I thought it. I thought, well, it kind of felt like the right time for most romantic comedies. So I went through a list of romantic comedies. Okay, uh, this one was an hour. And forty five. Huh. So was that one hundred and five minutes? I went and grabbed a list of romantic comedies, some from this year and some big ones from last year. Uh, Warm Bodies mm-hmm. was ninety eight minutes. The To Do List was one hundred and five. Admission with Tina Fey and Paul Rudd was one hundred and seven. Uh, About Time was a little longer. One twenty three. Pretty Woman was one nineteen. Um, Sleepless in Seattle was the exact same at one hundred and five. I don't know if this means anything, but I thought it was interesting, so no, I looked it up. It it does. That's yes, that's actually you, that's actually a really good observation, Zach. And are, you're doing this based on just the last couple of years, right? I mean, you didn't go back and look oh, at the well, best romantic them, comedies from well, the, last the last couple of years. years. You said he's at so, Sleepless in Sleepless Seattle. Sleepless was 105. Mm-hmm. You've got Mail was 119. How's the guy in? So they're getting shorter. Um, there. I think there was no about time. Is that? That time oh, travel one is that one out yet? Is that on uh, the uh, iTunes yet? Oh, no, it hasn't, yeah. I don't think it's coming in theaters yet. I think it's on the iTunes pretty is soon. It, oh, good. I think you can pre-order. It's 123. Okay, but yeah, that looks really good. I'm totally gonna watch that. Me too. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> romantic. Oh, I'm gonna blah, watch. Blah blah. blah, blah, blah. I'm gonna watch. Guys, watch. blow gonna things watch up. Red. Die Hard 19. Yeah. Mm. Beard. Let's go watch something. Nachos. <laughs> Uh, so did you, did your fiance watch this? Uh, she watched about the first 15 minutes of it. And the only thing she said is, how come everyone in this time period all talk the same? She said like, Dorothy and Wizard of Oz talks just like that girl. I said, well, (laughs) it's kind of just that time period, I guess. I don't know. I told her I'd ask. Do you guys know why everyone sounded the same in the 30s? Because see, everybody (laughs) has to sound alike. Partially because that's the writing that's popular. Um, right. it's like everybody uh, had the same acting and voice dictation coach. Yeah, well, yeah, and I mean, it's like can like when people showed up to audition, they were like, "Can you do this? Can mm-hmm. you do this voice?" Yeah. And the ones that could got cast, and the ones that couldn't didn't. Your time notification? Are you can time- you talk the way people expect you to go? Your your time noticing? Are you saying that this film was too long? Mm, I kind of. Felt like it was long. I think it drags in the middle. I think it, I think it could have lost like ten minutes or something. Okay. And what are you going to take away from this and apply anything? I'm going to take away the make sure your edits are tight and right lesson, and learn from old movies. They will make you successful. Well, like all romantic. I comedy. think I uh, could. I mean. There's something there's something to this movie, right? This movie has been repeated a thousand times. Right. A million right, times. Right. Why? Like sitting down and trying to figure out what is it? What are the individual things in this movie that get repeated? And how why are they successful and why have they been successful for the past thousand years? years. Eighty yes. years. Forever. All right, Zach, wrap Here's us up one? and get us okay. up. Okay. 
Uh, that's it for this week's Zach on Film. Make sure to head over to Majorspoilers.com and find that podcasting posting page where you can share all of your thoughts on It Happened One Night. While you're at Majorspoilers.com, make sure to click on that Amazon.com link where you can go buy this movie and Blu-ray players and all of your Christmas goods. That's coming up, you know. Uh, uh, it won't cost you any extra, but a little bit will come back to us to help these shows keep on going. Next week, we are not having a show because... Right. It is the holidays here in America, so go eat a turkey and do not punch anyone when you go buy your Black Friday deals. Hmm. So, uh, punch I don't a turkey. The, the, best, the best time of, of the holidays when kids do eat the turkeys is they overdose on the tryptophan and they take a long nap yeah. and it's quiet and it's quiet it's and quiet made me think. legalized drugging of children. And it made me think that maybe we should do a silent film, a true silent oh. film. So you have the choice, Zach. I will give you the choice between uh-huh. uh, City Lights okay. or The Kid. Both of them Charlie Chaplin movies. Both of them silent films. Mm-hmm. Or, I'm sorry, Modern Times or The Kid. Yeah, Modern Not Times. City. Yeah, Modern Times is what we were talking about earlier. Modern Times or The Kid. Ugh, I was really going to go with that Modern Lights one. That sounded yeah, interesting. Yeah, that one's also... Uh, but uh, let's see here. Uh, what are my options? The Kid or... Modern Times. Modern, modern Times. times. Uh, modern or times The Kid. Or the kid. Let's go modern times. Okay, that'll be in two weeks. There you go. Uh, that'll be in two weeks, everyone. See you next time on Zach Hunt. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.